Investing with IBD is brought to you by Alliance Bernstein, a global investment manager offering active, flexible solutions across asset classes. ABS the tools and expertise investors need to get their portfolios ready to navigate late-cycle investing. To find out more, visit abfunds.com. Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to Investing with IBD for April 2nd, 2019. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and joining me in the studio this week is Mike Webster, Senior Vice President, Portfolio Manager of O'Neill Capital Management. Thanks for being here, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about the current markets, the character of the stock, and we're going to end the episode on a discussion of stocks that are uh, acting well and, and uh, maybe setting up for the next few weeks. Sounds good. So let's start with the current market, Mike. Uh, right now, the market is in a confirmed uptrend. Uh, according to the big picture, six distribution days on both the NASDAQ and S&P 500, but stocks are acting pretty well still, right? And the market jumped up on Monday. Well, look, we're in a major bull market and stocks are acting that way. They're acting perfectly. It has been years since I've seen it look this good and feel this good. And yeah, we have a lot of distribution, but if you look at how the, the indices have been uh, handling themselves, it's been you know near picture perfect ever since our follow through on January fourth. Right, exactly, and and that that was a powerful follow through day too, right? We were over three percent on that day, and it's and this I, I, and it, it's almost perfect because this is why we have the rules because back at the on that day there's like in my head in my emo, with my emotions like there's no way this could work. Yeah, well, you know, if you remember the day before, that was the Apple news. And the world was coming to an end again because right. we had, the, you know, from October, you know, once Powell, you know, kind of put his foot in his mouth. Right. And it came down and it got worse and worse and he never really fixed it. Um, then, you know, we have all that that pain in December it was really, really bad. Right. And then we get the Apple news. And it's like, oh, boy, here we're, we're going to take another leg down. This is going to be like really, really bad. And then Powell fixed it. He, he went on stage with, you remember, yep. with Janet and, and uh, Bernanke, and he just had his, his notes there. He stuck to his notes, and, and he fixed the entire problem. And I remember watching it saying, okay, this guy gets it now. He's going to be behind the market, which he then realized, in my opinion, that if he's you know against the market, he's against the economy. He wants the economy to do well. He doesn't want to be the guy who you know killed the economy after you know Yellen did a great job, Bernanke did a great job. So um, it was off to the races. You know, like 15 minutes into that interview, I turned off the TV and was just looking for stocks to buy. Okay, perfect. And and yeah, and it took a few weeks, right? For because a lot of stocks were building right hand sides of bases at that point. So it took a few weeks for them to to get going. But ever since then. They're acting, as you said already, a, a major bull market yeah. right now. Yeah. And then now we had a little head fake, you know, what was it on um, last Friday or the March 22nd, that horrible Friday. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Because the, the, the <clears throat> day before that, March 21st. It was a good I, day. I, yeah, it was a great day. Yeah. Was a great <laughs> Our day. accounts were hitting highs and, you know, we're starting to feel good about ourselves. Yeah. So that Friday, that was really a big deal. We call it an expectation breaker. That's what Charles Harris and I kind of coined it back when we were doing the market school rules uh, a few years back. And that's a classic case of, of it. And what happens is you have the day before where your account is hitting new highs. Was your account hitting new yes, highs for the year probably? Was, yeah. I'm sure most people listening. 
same thing happened. Everything was looking great. Everything was moving up. There wasn't a lot of volume on, on some of the names, but everything was looking good. So what's your expectation the next day? It's for it to fall through, to keep going. Right, to keep going. That's why we call it an expectation breaker. So then that Friday happened, and that was with the whole inversion of the yield curve and, and all that mess. And you just started coming down. It was just falling like a rock, and it never, there was no bids anywhere. It just kept falling, 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 all the way into the close. And you know my account was hurt more than it than I'd gained the day before. It's I don't know about like yours, that, right? It? It's, it's amazing at how it always comes down faster right. than it goes up. Yeah, like good stocks were down five, eight percent, right. and that's right. an expectation breaker. And we've noticed that when that happens, that can change the market and it can bring a market all the way down. Um, that's what happened back in '07. For anyone listening, should go back and look at the end of October, early November. And on November 1st, you had an expectation breaker, and that was the beginning of that terrible bear market. So I was worried about that. And then after the close, we get that great news of the, you know, the Russia investigation you know, coming to a close. Now, it's great news whether you're a Republican or Democrat, you hate or love Trump, because it was bringing a resolution to this, this unknown and markets. Right, the uncertainty was st removed at that point. Right, and so it was removed, and then over the weekend, you know, we had the summary of the report, and um, whether you wanted him in jail or you didn't, you know, it gives him more leverage uh, for the whole China deal, which is what the market really cares about right now. The Fed is on on hold. The, the the market is really just concerned about you know earnings, but really that what's going on with China. So that was able to stabilize the market. If you looked at that Monday, we bounced off the 21-day moving average, which is very key, and we close at about 70% closing range, meaning that we close almost you know, at the top of the range. And so that, that was Monday. What, what date was that? That was on Monday, let's see, March 25th. Okay. So that was a very yep. important day. So since then, you know, some of the leading stocks have been hit here and there, you know, whenever there's downgrades or random news. But the market has been doing exactly what it needed to do since then. And it brushed off the, you know, the whole yield curve thing. And if you think about what's going on with the yield curve, so many people buy in, buy into that, that it's, um, it has self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, it just makes sellers just say, oh, God, this horrible thing is happening. I've got to sell. And all the algos are selling and it builds on itself. And you know it's interesting if you go back and look at the last time the, the market had an uh, inversion of the yield curve. It was in August of 2006. Do you remember that time frame? No, I, I, I do not remember the inversion, the, the inversion of the yield curve. I do remember that time. <laughs> that time frame, yeah, right? Yeah. No one was ca cared about the inversion at that point. <laughs> I, was just me, I was just following price and volume, Mike, just like, just, just like Bill taught me. That's, and I remember talking with him. We never talked about the yield curve. Yeah, I talked with him every day for a decade and a half. We never <laughs> talked about it. And that was a time where anyone trading can slim, following the paper, would have made a ton of money from the, that 06 until the end in 07 that, that we were just talking about. So um, I know people are concerned about the yield curve, but you know they should go back and study that, and then I don't think they'll be worried about yeah, it. Yeah, and I think in the end, it, the market is taking all of these things into account, and we'll see it. If it's a real concern, we'll start to see it in the market. All these distribution days will start to collect leading stocks will start to sell off. And naturally, when you're following your rules, you're going to be moving to the sidelines. But we don't have to worry about it at that point right now because the market is acting pretty well. So, Mike, now what uh, you mentioned about the major bull market, mm -hmm. right? And so this was something that you introduced in our 
webinar that you and I did back in September of 2018. It's on investors.com, uh, free for everyone. So you can go in and, and take a look at it. Uh, and so you, 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 that was the first time you introduced kind of this, you know, this large study that you've been working on uh, for a while that we are in maybe the second year of this ba major bull market. Uh, so, you know, is, is that still intact, uh, the, your views on that? Or are we still all, 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 all steam ahead at this point? Yeah, absolutely. I think anybody should um, that's interested should go back and, and, and watch that to understand because it's, it's too much to get into right now. But in a nutshell, um, the research that I did uh, pretty much puts us into um, the same time frame that uh, we had um, in 1949 to 1966. That's the press that I'm using. And it, it really came from studying the, the 1929 crash and the 2000 crash and, and what happened afterwards. And as you trace it, you know, look at how they both traced each other out, you know, almost identically, we started um, this, what I'm calling a major bull market. Some people call it a secular bull. Some people call it a, a super cycle. Mm -hmm. But it's this long, you know, 12 to 16 year time frame where you have a ton of progress. And most people would be, you know, that aren't familiar with 49 to 66. They, they might think of 1982 going forward, you know, up to 95. And then you really got into the bubble period from 95 to 2000. But we're at the very beginning of this. And I'm starting it in July of 2016. That's right around the Brexit right. time frame, about right. a week after the Brexit. Um, it's funny that that's back in, you know, the, the talks, but yeah. it was a big deal at the time, and now it's a big deal again. And so this is before the um, presidential election, but that's where I think the, the major bull market started. And so we're, you know, almost three years into that, and I think it'll last 12 to 16 years based off of history. Yeah, and, and so far, so good. Yeah, stocks have, and we, we spoke about this on the webinar, after that Brexit time frame, and especially after the elections, stocks started to behave a certain way, a different way, right? Yeah. They, they started to behave like they should in good markets. Yeah, just like I originally was looking at it like the 1980s and the early 90s where things were just acting normal, like all the models that we had studied of these big stocks that had huge moves, the, the Home Depots and the Amgens and the, the Dells and the Microsofts. And that's how they were acting. We both talked about it, how yep. things just felt different and, and stocks were going up in the way they should. Not in a straight line. I mean, think, in a straight line, that's a bubble and that's a whole different animal. That's not what we're in. We're in a major sustained bull market. And during that, you will have bear markets 20% or more. And that's what we went through here at the end of the year. And I knew we would have a couple of those because that's what the precedent um, laid out. And so this was uh, like 1962, if anyone's interested. And that was, you know, a 29% uh, bear market that happened right after JFK got in. And so JFK got in, the market went up, just like Trump got in, the market went up. And then it had this terrible bear market. Um, but it was short, just like this one. And then we came out, we had, you know, the Bay of, Bay of Pigs and, you know, the, the steel price um, issues, and then we have the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right, right, right. You know, so was Russia back then? Is Russia now? And you know, <laughs> you know, we're we're off to the races. Yeah, and and so for those of you who are listening, if you want to uh, really start to understand how great stocks behave in great markets, take a look at the last two months. Yeah, you, you, we've seen a lot of powerful breakouts, and you're waiting for those pullbacks that never come. They just keep crawling up, and the best stocks they're just 
they just keep slowly moving higher, slowly moving higher. And what's going on? There are these large institutions that are just they just keep nibbling at it. Hey, we need more of this stock. We need more of this stock. And and that just keeps pushing it higher and higher. All those software stocks that we've spoken about in, in previous episodes. Yeah. So I I think people should expect something more like the first three quarters of eighteen not 2017. 2017 was kind of a straight up low volatility time frame. But if you want to study what a normal market, bull market would be, is the first three quarters of 2018. So the market continues to act well. Mike's major bull market is still intact. And leading stocks continue to behave as if they're in a bull market. This is a perfect, perfect action here. Now, of course, be disciplined, let the stocks tell you when to get into them and uh, when to get out. Now, I hope everyone also enjoyed MarketSmith free access last week. If you want to extend your access to MarketSmith, we have a great deal. Uh, 30 days for $24.95. Uh, go to investors.com slash ms4weeks. So coming up after the break, we will get a little bit more into the character of the stock. So stay tuned. Hey guys, Arusha from Investing with IBD here. The global economic cycle is moving into its later stages, creating a less favorable mix of growth and inflation. Central banks aren't providing as much fuel to keep things moving either. And market volatility has come back in a big way. All of this makes investing a lot more challenging today. Alliance Bernstein can help. AB is a global investment manager with the tools and expertise to get portfolios ready for a more difficult path ahead. That means finding stocks from companies that are able to deliver quality growth over time. Adding downside protection against market downturns is critical too. And even though interest rates are rising, investors shouldn't avoid duration in their fixed income exposure. The bottom line, investments will have to work harder to generate long-term returns, but that shouldn't mean that investors have to struggle to find answers. AB offers actively managed flexible investment solutions across asset classes. It's what you need to adapt your portfolio for late cycle investing. To find out more, visit abfunds.com. Okay, we're back with Mike Webster on Investing with IBD. And in this segment, we are going to talk about one of the stocks that broke out shortly after the fall today on January 4th, uh, Chipotle. And yeah. let's get into Chipotle and also the character stock. I think there's a lot of great lessons here. So, Mike, let's talk about Chipotle. This was one of the stocks you noticed early on. Yeah, you know, the, this broke out the day, or it was viable the day after that follow through. So that's why when you have a follow through, you need to be, you know, doing tons of research, tons of screening. And this is one of the names that you would have come come across. And you want to have an open mind with um, with stocks. And, and one of the key things is looking at the character of it. Is, is this stock a pokey stock that just, you know, has, has been dead in the water for years? Has it been a big leader in the past? And so you always want to look at a monthly chart. And when I would, uh, you know, go over names with Bill O'Neill, he would always look to a monthly chart every single time. He'd look and see, okay, what is the character of this? And so looking at, at um, CMG, this has had a number of very nice moves. Um, along the way, and you know, after it IPO'd, it had a nice move. And then, of course, we had the 07 to 08 timeframe that you know got killed, just like everything, right? Right. So, so on, so on the, so just to make clear, we're looking at the monthly chart for Chipotle here. And so, yeah, Chipotle had a great run in that 2009, 2010. We always show that example. Yeah, right? it's so perfect, that right? Per perfect cup with the handle, uh, and and you can see, and, and you're right here, Mike. Uh, 
on the monthly chart, it, it really puts into perspective. This, this run went from, I don't know, around like $50, that first run, $50 to, oh, I don't know, $440. Not not too shabby. It's a lot of money, man. <laughs> it's it's a, a, lot lot of bur- of money. a lot of burritos being yeah. sold at that point. I think I helped them out. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> Um, but you you want to keep an open mind. Now, when this stock came down, it had its you know looking at the monthly chart that you know from seven hundred down to two fifty. A lot of that you remember the news, right? It was uh, you know people were getting sick yeah. from the burritos, yeah. and I unfortunately was one of them. I wasted a cruise from a sickness <laughs> from from CMG, but that you know enough time had gone by, and they really got their act together. Well, they, and a, they had a new CEO. Big deal, in, right? That, and and uh, that's something that we learn, right? That's yeah. the end in can slim. Sometimes it's not necessarily a new service; it's a new CEO that's coming in, changing the culture, bringing some new ideas and new blood to the company, and taking what was formerly a a good product or that formerly was tr- heavily trusted by yeah. the public. It was and, a little tainted for a while. It was right? definitely tainted. Yes. Yeah, and they they did their free burrito thing. They gave that out to get people back in the right. door, and it was very smart on their part, you know. And and I went. I was like, oh, oh you, you took a free burrito. I, I, I was think, like, no, I didn't go. I'll go get I, a free burrito. I still haven't gone in like in a year. I'm cheap, man. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> anything free. So, you know, with that as your backdrop, when you're doing your research and you had a follow through day and you know, put yourself back on January fourth, we just had this big up day. Um, and now we're looking for you know something to buy. So th- let's look at the daily chart of it, and we've marked this up, and we're going to walk through um, you know how you should have handled this. Now the, the your first buy was an alternative pivot, and it's something you normally wouldn't um, use um, to buy from this double bottom base. You typically um, most people buy a double bottom as it goes through the middle of the double bottom. That's a standard way of buying it, and the way I typically buy. Um, but if you're really close to a follow-through day um, and you just had a bear market, you, you need to kind of change things a little bit and you need to be nimble. And so what I would do here is draw that de- declining uh, tops line. Yep. And once it penetrates that, you know, and if it does it in a real way, which it did, that big up day, that's where you want to be initiating your, your first purchase, right? And that's yep. a, a clear, you know, alternative pivot. And then, you know, a couple days later, it goes right through the standard pivot. Yep, the traditional double bottom <clears throat> pivot. Yeah. Right, uh, of, uh, I don't know if I can see that, 500, is a little over 500, 598 yeah, like about or something like that. 501-ish. 501, yep. um, so that's where you want to add to it. So whenever you're buying a stock, you want to think of, okay, where's my first entry? Where's my second and third? And that's why we have all these ads on here. These are places, maybe you don't add to it because you don't have any capital. You've got it tied up with other stocks. But those are the places where you would want to add. And what's interesting is it was going through that round number of 500 right at a pivot. And you remember Livermore's book, right? Yeah, Just Livermore, incredible how, how, how I made. Well, how, uh, how to trade in how, how to trade in stocks. Yeah, you're thinking of Darvis for a second, yeah, which is right. another yeah, great yeah, book, right? Yeah, exactly. But you no, know, how to trade in stocks. This is right before he killed himself. So, but it was a, it was probably the best book besides Bill's book. Um, that, that's ever been written, yep. and I, I reread it all the time. And now I listen to it on on audio, um, Audible. You it's know, the beauty of technology, right? Um, and one of the things that he talks about in there is as stocks go through big round numbers like fifty bucks or hundred bucks, two hundred bucks, it is a psychological area where as the stock moves through it, everyone is focusing. It's no longer a four hundred dollar stock; it's now a five hundred dollar yep. stock. 
and you want to see how it acts around that area, and that's where you should be buying and, and adding to it. Um, and so it, it handled itself nicely there, but it was right before an earnings, so it was kind of a little bit dead money for a few weeks. Yep. And as a, those earnings come out and you've got good numbers and it's gapping up, you need to add, you need to step up and add shares there, which is most people are like a little timid. But no, you and too, I yeah, exactly. love yeah. buying gap ups. Yeah, I, I, we're probably only two. When they uh, work, right? The <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But we still try them. We try them every right. time. But uh, I, yeah, I, I think that was one of those few things that I've noticed o- over the years is the strongest stocks a lot of times, especially after an earnings report, they gap out powerfully. And Chipotle was one of these stocks that, wow, all of a sudden Wall Street started to get more excited about it and started to have more confidence in the direction of the company. Yeah, and this entire time, if you look down at that blue line, that's a relative strength line, it's been acting picture perfect. And what's really notable there is before, it, you know, right at its first buy point, that was at, already at new highs. And so for those of you who don't know what a relative strength line is, that's just how the stock is doing versus the S&P 500. And, you know, if the, the stock is moving up faster than the market, um, that line's going to be going up up and if it's you know just right in line with the market it's going to be flat and if it's underperforming it's going to be down and that simple line is the best thing we have and, and mike also on so on january 7th we'll go back so on yep. january 7th the day after the falter day or the next the, the first monday after the falter day that relative strength line was hitting a new high yep. and on market smith we because it, it was always there are so many moving parts and so many things from uh that are difficult to remember uh, so, so we made it easier to kind of highlight what you're talking about, this concept. We, we put a little blue dot on that relative strength line. Uh, and that's thanks to you. you, you, you uh, Mike Webster is the one who, who created that blue dot to really help it, to make it easier for all of us to really capture this really important concept, but something that's very easy to forget. Yeah, it is very important. I remember in the late 90s, I used to run custom screens for that specific thing of relative strength line hitting a new high before the stock price was hitting a new high. So by definition, if that RS line is hitting a new high before the price is, it is leading. It's a leading stock, and that's what we're after. We're after leading stocks, not just stocks that are being brought up because the entire market is going up. And that's why we we put that blue dot in there, just to make it easy for everybody. And so, we, like you said, so we don't miss it. Exactly. Um, and it's a very key thing. And that's what, if you don't use anything else, use the relative strength line. I think it's interesting that when Bill first created his charts back in the 60s, at that point it was just weekly charts, the only thing he put on there was the index line and the relative strength line, you know, besides the moving averages. Right. But, you know, now decades later, that's all you need. Yeah, you know, Mark so you Smith, yeah. Those are the things that you can't remove even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't. It, we, we build it that way, right? Because right. they would say you, you need to have this and you have to have it. It's that important. Um, and I find, we were talking about this the other day, I find myself now when I'm looking at stocks and going through my list, whether it's the Growth 250 or the IPD 50 or what have you, um, is I'm focusing my eyes at what that relative strength line is doing more than the price action. And I, I'm finding myself that it, it's um, the, the focus there is helping me because it's really saying, you know, is this stock leading or is it just moving along with what the market's doing or is it drifting down 
a lot more than the market is. And so if you just focus, start focusing more attention on that line, you're going to be end up with a, a portfolio of leaders and you're going to weed out all the junk. Yeah, and, and, and we, uh, we call it the X factor. Because that was something yeah. that uh, w when, when I, I, I was studying the whole system for years before joining the company, and I understood price and I understood volume. But that relative strength I didn't understand yet, and I only really learned it when I, when I came in-house and didn't realize how critical that was. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's a huge, huge part of it. Let's uh, let's go a little bit more into the, the character stock and on the, the price level. After that gap up, you know, Chipotle's acted perfectly, mm -hmm. right? You have this massive gap up, and on that day, it was up 11.35% uh, after that earnings report. And you would think that, hey, a lot of people, they just made uh, instantly 11.35%. Let's cash in our profits. And the opposite happened, right? It just, it, it did exactly what we expect a, a gap up to do. Just kind of crawls up. Yeah, and that's how it should handle itself. And that's why you need to look at as many charts in any given day as possible. And every chart you look at, you should try to learn something from. So if you didn't trade Chipotle at all, if you've never traded it, you still want to sit and stare at this chart and say, okay, how does the stock act normally after a gap up? How does it act, you know, after a gap down? What, you know, after a big move one way or another, what's normal? The more ch charts you look at, the more you'll get to know what normal is, which is critical. So this was acting picture perfect, it gaps up, kind of holds in sideways right there at that 600. So now it went from, you know, 500, now it's up to, to 600. And you Another would, round number. Another big round number. And then it starts making its move up to 700, where it is now. Right. So it's up there, kind of nosebleed territory. You know, stocks just don't go in a straight line. And now there's the, the talk about, you know, the Mexican border maybe being shut down. And, and that could, you know, impact their prices. They buy a lot of avocados, right. I would imagine, right? right. And, and probably from Mexico or, yes. you know. So it, you have some near-term risk, but everybody knows that, you know, so that's in, in the price. But, you know, so you really have to ask yourself if you're in this, you know, in the $400 range and it's up at $700, what are you going to do? Well, you know, I might take a little off the table. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. Or you could sit back and if you look at a weekly chart, you could just say, you know, um, I'm just going to wait until the stock breaks the 10-week line and closes below the 10-week line on a weekly. And that's one of the things that Bill would always do on his big winners is he would just sit there and 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 just say, you know what, if you know, I'm not going to sell it, I'm not going to you know take profits. I'm just going to let this run. I'm going to let this winner run until it tells me it should be sold. And that's how he made his fortune, really, just abiding by that by that ten week moving average. Yeah, and uh, you know, a lot of times. Uh, one thing that I've learned is you, you make your decisions quickly. You act on those buy points, but you change those decisions. You change slowly, right? You yeah. give them a room. You give the stocks room to work, uh, and that get, that enables you to ride some of these stocks, you know, uh, bouncing off the 10-week line. And they go a lot further than you can ever imagine, especially if they're a game-changing stock. Yeah, and I think that's an important point that you, you made as far as being slow. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to work on. Me because too. I'm too <laughs> fast. I'm, I'm really talking to myself right here, Mike. <laughs> You're talking to me too. <laughs> um, and so what I've been working on lately is if I want to sell a stock, I will sell 5 to 10% of it. Before I just go in there and start 
you know, picking a number, 25, 30%, blow it out, and then I go, and maybe it goes lower. I go, well, right. well, I should sell more. But now what I'm doing is I'm trying to, to and I calculate it to, you know, even to an odd lot, you know, and I do five or 10%, and then I sit and I wait and see how it acts and see how I feel about my portfolio. And it slowed me down. And, you know, I think people should try that five, 10 maybe 15% if it's a big move, and that'll keep you in a winner longer. Um, at least that's the approach I'm, I'm taking. Yeah, and, and so very briefly, one more thing, and you're a big fan of this as I'm a change date feature. You know, the way you kind of train your eyes for behaving stock, for stocks that act great in, in a bull market is by using this change date feature. It's a huge part of, uh, we were really excited when we added it in markets right from the beginning, but it's, a, it's kind of a simulator. The change date feature is that hidden thing that, that's a secret sauce that all the portfolio managers here use all the time. Bill O'Neill would use it all the time. And it's your it's your training vehicle. You go back in time in the chart now, if you look at the CMG on a daily now, it's all compressed. It yep. looks completely different. And what you should do is go back and do a change date in MarketSmith to January 4th. See what it looks like on that day. Go to January 7th, the breakout day go through each one of those buy points and stop on that day and observe what the chart looks like. And you'll notice that as it moves up, the chart compresses and it has a completely different feel. And I use the change date. Every PM I know uses change date all the time. And I don't think many of our customers do, institutional or retail. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it could improve their trading so much. So the character stock is incredibly important when we're analyzing stocks, you know, using the change date feature, understanding how a stock should act in a great market. That's going to make all the difference. And so the the more you learn about this behavior, the closer you're going to catch a big winner. You're going to, you know, Mark, Mark Smith, a lot of our tools, IBD, it, the screens work. They're, they're putting those stocks right in front of you. Mm -hmm. It's just up to you to get uh, that analysis process down. And so up next, Mike and I are going to continue this, and we're going to discuss current stocks, so stay tuned. I hope everyone also enjoyed MarketSmith free access last week. If you want to extend your access to MarketSmith, we have a great deal. Uh, 30 days for $24.95. Uh, go to Investors.com slash MS4Weeks. You're listening to Investing with IBD. This is segment three, and so let's get into current stocks. And so, Mike, we, we have an interesting uh, comparison between three stocks here. Uh, and they're all, they're all involved in video. They're all fighting over uh, the TV, kind of the new version of the TV, right, as everyone's cutting the cord. And the, the first one, that, that they're still doing fine, but they, they're not as innovative or as exciting as they used to be. Right, ten years ago, and that's Apple. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, we're using Apple. We are. We are. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, for You've those of you who are watching on the the videos, here you go. We, we have our little Apple laptops here. Mike Mike brought his one too. Yeah. So we love our Apple products, right? Everyone loves our Apple products, but that's a problem. We all we already own them, right? So how much growth can you can you have? You know, how many iPods are you going to go out and 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 buy? You know. Yeah. None. How many iPads are you going to buy? Well, maybe once every you know four or five years, right? So, and then the phones, they're 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 key thing as the but price even, gets up. But even with the phones, the the length that people are holding on to the phone in, in the past, the phone every two years, yeah, right. With uh, 
with the, the subscriptions, with the with the, all the, the cell phone companies, every two years you could renew and get a new phone. Now that model's kind of gone out of the window. You have to pay full price or pay some other kind of way to, through the phones, and so people are hanging on to them longer. Yeah, for you know, thousand dollars give or take, right. it's you know not something that the average person is going to be doing you know every year or so. So they're trying to turn into a service company. They're great. They're super smart. Some of the brightest people in the world work there. So they've decided to go down this road, and now they're going into the video thing. They've always kind of had one foot in there. If you remember when yeah. Jobs was around, he was trying to do the Apple TV and. I always thought it was going to be this huge thing. So, you know, I've bought almost every Apple TV from the first one. Oh, you remember the first one? No. Uh, well, I, I remember it coming out, but I didn't buy it at that yeah, point. I I, it was it. only a couple of years ago I bought it. It was it, it was kind of big. It would get super hot. I always thought it was going to burn down the house. <laughs> but it, could, it had local storage on that. So that was before the whole streaming thing. So fast yeah. forward many generations, and now they have this you know, event a couple of weeks ago, and they, they're now getting into their own content. So that brought a lot of eyeballs into, you know, okay, what's going to go on with Netflix? What about Roku? You know, you've got Amazon. You've got Disney trying to do some stuff. And so we're going to talk about, you know, at, we're going to focus on Apple, Netflix, and Roku through this. So looking at Apple, with them getting into this space, it's going to take a while until they really, um, you know, are able to move the needle with whatever they do with TV. And I think it's kind of like what happened with the watch. You know, they mm. started, came out with their version one and just, you know, all the diehards are going to buy it. And then it's not until recently that, you know, the average person is going to buy it. So that's going to become a big part of their um you know, their revenue and same thing with this TV you know they, they had this great launch party all these you know Oprah is going to be there everyone loves Oprah you know so um, but really how how many years is it going to take until it's a big part of what they're doing so looking at the chart um, you know it came down hard yeah know? so so and we're looking at a weekly chart yeah we're um, looking at a weekly chart of, of of Apple and you can see you know it's it's obviously you know one of the biggest companies of all time and it came down, you know, substantially during that bear market, and didn't really recover as fast as everything else was. Um, and part of that is size, but it's also because they had that warning the day before, um, the, the uh, follow-through day in January that we talked about, and so they were having some trouble. But it's doing better. But it's not really in a position uh, with that relative strength, you know, kind of lagging that we would want to step up and buy. Right. You know, if if you're a big institution and you're looking for putting money to work, I'd buy it here. You know, we're back above the 200 day. It looks like it's going to be at 200 in a blink of an eye, but it's not that fast moving, you know, can slimish um, stock. It's it's kind of an old slower name at yeah, this point. And, and and for those of you if you want to see some of these charts that were we're looking at, you can always go to investors.com slash podcast. We're gonna have these charts on there. And we have a video version also of the podcast. So they're, they're showing it uh, live there. But Apple's forming this big cup with handle. It's a lagging stock. You, you mentioned relative strength. The RS rating's only a 75 at this point. So clearly a laggard uh, right now on the stock. And really the one question, this is something that I've learned here over the years is, uh, it's a it, it's on the verge of breaking out. It, mm -hmm. it, it's it's formed that handle. It has a has a, a pivot of one ninety seven sixty nine, right? So it's getting pretty close to that. It's a few percentage away from that, but we've had this super strong market. Yeah. The the, the market's up. What what the Nasdaq's up sixteen seventeen percent, and Apple is only now breaking out. 
Yeah. So it, it's been, by definition, kind of a laggard or what Bill would call just a market stock is going along with what the market is doing at this point. So I don't think the the video that we're talking about is going to be a game changer. So let's go into the pure play and let's take a look at Netflix on a, on a daily chart. And you can see that this is, you know, had a couple bases in there that it tried to break out of and, and, and failed. And it's just in this big basing area. And now, um, you know, it, I think it just needs to go sideways as this 50 days is catching up to it. Um, and we've got the uh, the earnings coming out in a few weeks. So that's probably right. going to be the catalyst that's going to move it one way or another. This is tends to move a lot on earnings. But that's your pure play. I think they're the the strongest in this area. I watch Netflix all the time. Do you? Yeah, I, I do. They, they have, I mean, obviously they went into the original content. They've, they've had, it, Netflix and Apple, I guess, in their, if you want to go and study great stocks, those are two of the stocks to, to really study. Apple, obviously, from 2004 and, and for the next t the 10 years after that. And then Netflix from, gosh, they had a DVD run, then they had this streaming yeah. run, and then the le the last great run was their original content run, uh, and that's that's the only honestly that's that's the main reason why I go to Netflix these days, is because they have original content there, and they have some really interesting shows, some interesting documentaries that are only available. So that that that's why I'll go there. Yeah, and you know I've been with them since the beginning of time mm -hmm. yeah, with the know, DVDs. With too? the DVDs, okay. I was one in the in, I think their first or second year out the gate. Um, I got sick of going to Blockbuster, yeah. if anybody knows well, what's what that is. There's still one store in Oregon, <laughs> I, I heard. <laughs> and so, you know, for anyone under, you know, 100 years old, there's a <laughs> store that we used to go into. And so, um, and get the, you wait in line, right? Um, but I was with them since then. They've always been ahead of the curve. So now with this original content, they're way ahead of the curve. They're putting out great stuff. They're paying through the nose for are, it, but it's are. really good stuff. And it's really their and algorithm. Big time movie stars. They're getting all these like movie stars doing uh, movies on it or even TV shows. Yeah, there was on one on Bonnie and Clyde that I started watching oh, really? this weekend. You know, it was a new one that just came out. That's what they do a great job of is putting the new stuff in front of you and I've found that it's really, you know, if you're looking at online content or even just looking in your cable for those of us who still have that, you know, it's hard to find something new. Right. And Netflix does a great job because it knows what you like, what you've watched, and it tells you and it puts it in front of you. So with Netflix, as far as buying it, um, if I owned it, I would hold it. Um, but it, it needs to break out and it tried to break out a couple times. Um, you know, try to break out uh, on that big update that we were talking about before the expectation breaker, and it, it pulled back in because of the news, I think, of, of Apple. People weren't sure, like, was Apple going to be, you know, come in there and kill Netflix? Right. And I think they realize that, no, this is a year is away from really doing some damage. But, you know, they've got Disney coming in. Amazon's got some great stuff that, you know, um, but, you know, Let's move on to um, Roku and take a look at that one. Now, this is a different animal. Um. Yeah, and, and 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 Roku's always, yeah. I I think Roku is just another great example of here's a company that had a great idea that simplified it so anyone can kind of just plug in their their little player and access all this content, cut the cord. Right, they're yeah. the, really the first company to take advantage of cutting the cord. And uh, and you you assume that when Apple came out with their Apple TV, mm -hmm. that Apple's just going to take that market share, yeah. but they didn't. Yeah. And and it's that first mover advantage, and now Roku is a brand. 
you know, people think about that it's probably it's probably uh, becoming a verb. I'm not sure. Let's go Roku something. I'm not sure if they do that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's getting, it's getting closer. Probably. You're start. But Roku, Roku, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Roku is a brand, yeah. right? Well, people like, know about Google's it. got their Chromecast or whatever. Right. They're trying to get in there. That's you know that's its own brand. And Amazon's got their Fire Stick, which is pretty good. But the Roku, the you know we've got a Roku at at, at home, and mm-hmm. my kids were using the Roku. I was using the Amazon um, Fire Stick. One day I was, was using their TV. I'm like, wow, that was a heck of a lot easier. easier right? Like, yeah. it's so easy. So then I switched and I got a TV with this built in Roku. So then I started thinking, wow, I really need to be looking at the stock more because there's probably a lot of people like me. Well, now you don't have to get a, a stick, it's just built in with the TV. And uh, uh, that's actually what Netflix did. Uh, yeah. Also, once Netflix got into it, you, it, Netflix first was just on the computer. Mm-hmm. Right, and then they they start to integrate with the Xbox and the PlayStation, yeah. and, and all of a sudden their touch points became more and more, and so more people started to subscribe to Netflix. Roku's doing the exact same thing with TVs. Yeah, they were integrated with DVD players. I have an old Samsung that you know, was integrated with. Now I do have a position in this stock just from a compliance reason. I got got to say, and this is not a stock that anybody who doesn't have a super high risk tolerance should trade like if you just turn off the podcast don't trade this <laughs> if you can't handle big losses this stock but don't turn off the podcast yeah, well, you, you know just saying. don't trade stock. um this trades up a lot and down a lot in big big percentage moves um and but i like stocks like that you know but i'll have some slow pokey ones in my mm-hmm. portfolio to balance it out and so it went through an alternative pivot yesterday so i was buying some and then adding to it today um the standard pivot is up at that 74.35 but you know if you look at this um there are a lot of problems with it it's super deep it's you know it's i think 66 percent yeah, deep it got yeah, uh, you know, a lot of the best stocks, and yeah, that, <laughs> a lot of the best stocks we talk about, they resist a downtrend the best. This oh. one didn't resist. This didn't try to resist. <laughs> it just, it just went. went. Down. <laughs> it was like going out of business. <laughs> right. you know? um, but it was able to turn, and you had that big move up on, on the, the most recent earnings, huge move up. And then it came down. It, it, that big day, um, let me take a look and see. That was on the 13th. It was down 14%. Yeah. I think that was just a couple of random downgrades. So that's what you're playing with fire. But this is kind of a, a pure play in the cutting the cord business. Yep. Right? That's what they do. And they do a great job. They've got a big market share. Um, and it's a simple um, interface that kids can use, old fogies like me can use, young kids like you can use. <laughs> wish. Um, and so I, I like it. And that helps me trade a stock if I like the product. And that's something that I picked up from Peter Lynch years ago, um, and Bill O'Neill would always do it that way, and and you you can relate to it a little bit more. So, if it you know if it goes through the seventy four thirty five, I'll be adding to it, um, but I'm going to be cutting my losses quickly if this thing um, probably if it undercuts yesterday's low. And and so very briefly here, just one quick question because I already hear customers and sure. listeners asking with with Roku they had in the last quarter negative earnings right so the quarterly earnings was negative 17% mm-hmm. on a non-gap basis here uh, so how did you overcome that or how did you take that into the analysis no that's a great question so you know the kind of the orthodox way of trading O'Neill style can slim is only trading stocks with positive earnings and anybody out there who um, wants to stick with that, that's completely fine. And I would say continue doing that. But the market has been changing. The market is trading off of revenue 
a lot more than it's trading off of earnings mm-hmm. um, in, in a lot of different areas, especially in the software space. Right. And so what I'm doing is I'm just looking at what the market is really doing and what it's paying for. And if you search through and look at maybe the top stocks books, um, you know, and um, if you look at the top stocks book and you see, you know, a lot of those stocks had big moves, they didn't have positive earnings. So um, no, that's uh, how I did it. Okay, no, that, that that's perfect, Mike. And and we, we're, we're getting the hook here. They're, they're saying no more stocks because we could talk probably for for many hours here. Uh, but so it, keep an eye on Roku, okay? This, this is a company, it's a young company that has potential. They have market share and they're the ones right now that seem to be catching the cutting cord crowd right here. So Mike, thanks so much for being here. It's always a pleasure to, to have you and to talk to you. So uh, the listeners are definitely gonna enjoy this one. Uh, next week, we're gonna have Scott St. Clair, uh, whom Mike knows really well. Great guy. Uh, and, and he's he was Very long, tall. He is, he is tall, yes. <laughs> but And you'll see that if you watch the video podcast on investors.com slash podcast. Uh, but he's been part of MarketSmith for years. And uh, we're going to talk about portfolio management. Uh, he has a lot of great things to share that he, of, of things that he's learned over the years. So that's it for this week's episode with Investing with IBD. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.